June 4th today for many when this podcast gets aired, or as it's known on OHL stories, May 35th. Because well played. Well thank played. you. I had to do the math because the Farwell for Hire campaign, although it is destined for the month of May, which is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, it still continues because can people still get 50 50? Can they still sign up for 50-50? No, at the today, time, it's, it's done. Okay. as of today, it'll be, we've, I'll tell you what, though, at the time of recording, the jackpot is over $60,000. Yeah. Can you believe I that? W- yes, I can. I can't wait for that to go into my bank account. Mike. Yeah, good luck. Um, thank you. Uh, I have so many tickets. I haven't even looked at like the $1,000 early bird draws because it takes so much to go through on my phone. I'm like, I'll just look at the end. I might have $1,000 right now. I don't know. Um, I, have so, I bought so many numbers. It's a lot. <laughs> Anyway, um, Farwell for Hire continues. If people want to donate, farwell4hire.com. I normally start off this podcast asking you in the month of May, what did you do today? But in honor of another successful campaign that continues, Mike Farwell, I cheers you, my friend. Oh, well. I cheers you. Great job. I didn't know this was coming. Thank you. I know it was a surprise. Congratulations on another successful campaign. Um, for anybody who isn't aware, and this is their first time maybe listening to this podcast, I normally ask you what you do today or what you did today. So uh, at the time of the recording, this is still, well, it's June 1st on the recording. So what did you do today, Mike? <laughs> it's been, it's been relatively easy today. Uh, a lot of tidying up some loose ends, getting some deliveries done. There will be some more, uh, work involved. I actually, uh, the tomorrow, uh, the day after we're recording this, I'll be out with uh, KW custom exteriors for my annual appearance to get on the job site and show my limited skills, but in exchange for a really big fat donation. So it's, it's worth the time I put in. They don't work me too hard and uh, a few other little things as, as the week wears on. But as we're airing this, uh, if you want to be a part of the final weekend, some real good food is, is lined up for us. Thanks to Crowsfoot Smokehouse in Conestogo. Stop by there on Saturday between noon and eight, tons of stuff going on, really good food. I kid you not. And a kickback to the campaign. And then on Sunday, which is May 37th and the official, that's it. Like there will be no more. I promise there will not be a May 38th. Everybody needs a break from me and my family would like me to screw my head back on straight and come home. So on, uh, on Sunday, May the 37th, June the 6th, uh, we're going to be at Barry's asparagus in uh, just outside of new Dundee. And if you've never had deep fried asparagus before, <laughs> let me tell you, Brad and the schmuck truck are going to be there. It's going to be a great afternoon. And then, uh, then we're going to, add up some money and, and give a whole bunch to cystic fibrosis for anyone local. If you're heading out to the crow's foot, just go down like, like six houses, Sittler's bakery, grab oh. yourself to some dessert, the long Johns, the there short Johns. Oh my God. I can't believe how cheap stuff is there. It's like, kind of stoko. It's, it's like, it's going back in time. It's unbelievable. I went in there. I got like a dozen cookies and six short Johns. She's like $7. I'm like, what? <laughs> I felt bad. I'm like, here's an extra two bucks. Get a little <laughs> like, bottle of pop for 10 cents too. Oh, I felt yeah. awful leaving there. The guy in front of me is like, I'll, I'll take a homemade peach pie. It's like, you can still see the steam coming off it. She's like, that's $6. I was like, this is highway robbery. <laughs> Somebody like, pay this lady. Seriously. Anyway, uh, congrats on another campaign. Thanks, that's all buddy. I got to say. I just want to start it off there, but uh, we do have some 
You want to start with OHL news? Is there anything else you want to pump on the campaign campaign before we move on or no? No, that that is like, honestly, okay. if I pump any more then it goes longer and uh, I may fair. never be when, able to come home again. When do we find out? Actually, let's, let's ask this. When do we find out the total? Yeah, When's we it? should. I, I'm hoping by the, uh, so if the six is Sunday, so I'm hoping by the week of the 14th we'll be out because there's, gotcha. there's a lot of stuff to still kind of, Trickle. wrap our arms around yeah. and get in and stuff but yeah hopefully within a week of of shutting it right down we can we can post the total and and hopefully it's a it's a nice total we'll see nice it started with the the cystic fibrosis walk do you still do the walk too uh, i would if we, they had one two they years in one, a row yeah. now there's been I a virtual they. walk yeah, yeah so but i have been every year yep i i yeah. kind of uh, step down from the the campaigning and make sure i book my time to be on the walk and be around of course the cf community which is what what the, the, these are the people that it's for this, this yeah. entire campaign so yes and i i haven't done the virtual walk i think that might make me a bad person because a lot of people do a lot of you know work to make that happen but i figure in terms of getting money for the charity i'm, I'm making more being out <laughs> doing things yeah. than i am participating in the virtual walk so well, and it's not like you don't make those steps up during the campaign. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Put in a few. So we should, you know, we talk about this as OHL stories and I'm just trying to pump your charity, but Mike Moffat does some great work Listen, too, I'm right? Local kids. So I just- glad you brought him up. Uh, so played for the London Knights and Kingston Frontenacs. And when he was with Kingston, which is where he finished his junior hockey career, Waterloo boy, uh, he, when he was with Kingston, he, he got the franchise uh, to do a cystic fibrosis night. He is now married to a kid I've I've long called, and I shouldn't call her a kid anymore because she's a mom. But, uh, <laughs> um, Amber Schufelt, uh, now of course Amber Moffat, but uh, Amber was the the young lady and her family. Her her parents, my goodness, Darren and Tracy are just incredible people, and they were the family I was kind of connected to when I first got back into. Uh, the local CF community. If if you don't know the full backstory, I, I lost two sisters to the disease. So there was a time I just, I needed a break from all things cystic fibrosis. And when I came back, which was well before the Farwell for higher times, but I started getting involved more. This was the family I kind of got connected to. And Amber was just this, this little thing and sweet as apple pie. And anyway, so yeah, all these years later, uh, she's still at it. Look up her salty story on social media. She's very open about the challenges of living with cystic fibrosis, but she is living, which is the key in all of this. She's a new mom, as I mentioned, and, uh, and she and Mike and, and their team, uh, about $35,000 by the time all is said and done, they've raised for the charity this year. An absolutely incredible effort on their parts for sure. And if continuing with the OHL theme, I, his name is blanking me. I believe he was a goaltender in Peterborough. Oh, D'Agostini. Thank you. Yes. yes Matt, Matt D'Agostini. Matt D'Agostini met, uh, yeah, met a young fan in Peterborough uh, who had cystic fibrosis. And they've been like to this day, uh, I, I know Matt's been connected to the family. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff. And you know, you got me thinking. Listen, uh, Sweetland and everybody else over there over there at the OHL offices. I've I've had this in the back of my mind for the longest time. I've just never asked. I think I'm going to have to make the push, Popper, and maybe you'll have to nudge me in that direction. But okay, but why not? Why don't we get things uh, get something going league wide? And and maybe when the Rangers are in town when we're out on the road, they can do something that particular night for uh, cystic fibrosis, right? I want to correct myself. Andrew D'Agostini, Matt yeah, D'Agostini played in Guelph. There you go. Okay. Anyway, uh, some OHL news. The uh, Sarnia Sting are looking for a new head coach. Paging Eric Wellwood. 
Paging you know, Eric Wellwood. I think you said on the podcast last week when we mentioned that Mr. Wellwood would no longer be in Flint, uh, that it won't be long before he is snapped up. We're not sure what's going on in Flint, but I think you're onto something here. That is one heck of, or how about this? Hang on. Considering it's Sarnia, last week's podcast guest, a former coach with the Sting, and the, one of the last things he said was, I've applied for like 90% of the openings and I'd come back if I could. How about a return of Dave McQueen to the OHL and the Sarnia Sting? That's just a little bit of a joke. No offense, Dave. I think, uh, well, I, I honestly think Wildwood's a better fit. Young, he, he relates to the players so well. We saw what he did in Flint. And for an organization like the Sarnia Sting that, I'm sorry, have been perennial losers. They have struggled to make it out of the first round. They're the Leafs of the Ontario Hockey League. Get a guy who's done it three times. You know, like, why, why not? I, I think it's the perfect fit, really. I don't know why you have to be that way when the wound to Leafs fans is still so fresh. But uh, I, I don't disagree that Wellwood is a, would be a great fit, quite frankly, anywhere. And look, no offense intended to Mr. Hatcher, but I, I think probably his stepping down is, is going to be positive for the franchise just because he, he wasn't really able to, to make anything happen there. So he says he remains committed to the team's success. I don't doubt that but not as a head coach. And, and I think that's a, a smart move on his part. Look, they, they pushed a couple of years ago when Kitchener pushed. And that yeah. second round series was fantastic. Could have went either way. Kitchener had the edge on him. But at least they made the moves to go for it. You know, that's what I liked about that is that you're not just going to go half in. They made the, some major moves and got some pieces. I think some of their players were just a little more checked out than some of Kitchener's in that series, if I'm being honest. So Jordan, Jordan Cairo, who has proved me wrong going to the NHL and did a has done extremely well, but he blanked that entire series, but I like it. And I like that they have guys there that, you know, like Hatcher, who was one of Stanley cup, like the people that are in charge of that with David Legwan, who um, the former Plymouth whaler, uh, I, I like that they're still staying in charge, but now they need a new voice behind the bench. And I wonder if it, I wonder if Darian's leaving because his son's left too, right? He's not as invested anymore in that team in, in the day to day when his, as, as he would be when his son's there. You made mention of of making moves like they did when they felt they had a chance there in Sarnia. And that makes me think of where the other Ontario Hockey League news is really happening right now. And that's in Saginaw, Dave Drinkle. And, you know, we've talked an awful lot over this past year, Popper, about Oshawa, uh, you know, the Tomasino trade, uh, Ottawa and being loaded for bear a second time after falling a little bit short. How about the Saginaw Spirit, which was a team I remember talking to Chris Lazary at the preseason showcase in Kitchener. So this would have been 2019, beginning the 2019, 2020 season. And he was still, he said that had it not been for the birth of his daughter that summer, it would have been the worst off season of his life because Saginaw, like so many other teams that playoff up on Guelph, couldn't close out the series, the storm go on and win the OHL championship. But Lazary was still smarting from that as the head coach and, and the team too. I, I'm sure Dave Drinkle felt it you know, I, he, you thought he made his moves. He pushed all in all these different things. They were still a good looking team. They had their eyes on something, you know, a lot bigger in the year that eventually got canceled after 60 odd games when, when COVID first hit and they've both been signed to extensions through 2023, 2024 and saggy. 
Yeah, I think I don't know if the shortened season affects this stat or not. I can't remember, and I apologize if it does. But the Saginaw Spirit have have improved their record each year under Dave Drinkle. That's a major stat for a general manager. Shows he's doing the right thing and shows he's committed to winning. The shortened season might have affected it because they might have missed out a, a couple games. Um, but man, did they ever have a strong team! And now, it, I'm sure they'll still have a strong team, but they're going to have to start the whole rebuild all over again. It seems because the the league is so circular that now, after you know being at the top of their division for a couple of years, normally your team gets a little younger. You start moving some of those pieces to make way for draft picks and so on and so forth. But congrats to both of them and a winning recipe, definitely for the Saginaw spirit. The younger guys, uh, we're going to be finding out a lot about this very weekend as this podcast is released because the OHL priority selection, as they like to call it, is going to be taking place here on Friday the 4th and Saturday the 5th. And then you look a little further ahead and the rankings for the NHL draft have come out and Mason McTavish right there knocking on the door, which makes me he's ranked second among North American skaters uh, behind Owen Power out of Michigan. But it also makes me think, and and this is, I I hadn't brought up this aspect of the frustration over the past year, but I'm just going to add another layer to it. We missed the entirety of Shane Wright's sophomore season. When we get back to playing, which I'm confident we will sometime this fall, he's going to be in his draft year. We just like, and that's the beauty, like as much as the, it's a debate sometimes around the exceptional player status, the beauty of it is you get to watch these guys for a minimum of three years instead of two years and out. Right. And yeah. so we've, we've missed an entire year of a player that was so is so very special. I know, but I'm also so excited that I get to watch his third year. That's what do you do Good now? <laughs> like how, how, well, like he's, with all due respect to everybody who's going to be drafted to the National Hockey League, like the Mason McTavishes, like the Francesco Pinellas, he was just like he won Rookie of the Year by a landslide. No question. Right? Like it wasn't yeah. close. Well, I think so, maybe for a while, because remember, it was for a while. Yeah, but then the second turned- half that he just cranked it right up. Because, yeah. yeah, Mason McTavish, I, I would say in, in the first third anyway of the season, Came out like was right a there off. with him. Yeah. yeah. But then, so he's so much better. Now, what's he going to be like when he's playing? you know, kids his own age and kids, even the year younger, like he's going to be a beast. <laughs> he's going to be, I can't wait to watch him. It's going to be quite entertaining. And then um, I, I'm more excited to watch, maybe not watch, but follow the OHL entry level draft that's coming up that will be taking place on today when this is debuted, because I think we're going to get a really good idea as to which teams concentrate on scouting staff. And how much scouting has went in. Because now we're going to find those like second, third, even fifth round guys, I'm sure, that haven't been seen as much because of the lack of a season. You know, so I, I'm just excited to see how many of these sleeper guys or people that are not drafted, like the Jonathan Yetzes, we get into the league or in that U18 draft because they may have been seen an extra year. Well, one of the other interesting things, of course, is we might be on the precipice of seeing the first young woman drafted to the Ontario Hockey League. And, and, and this young woman, make no mistake, I spoke to a scout, speaking of scouts, who watched her at a tournament. She's a goalie and said that th- like, this is the real deal. She was the best goalie at that tournament, period. Like not just be- the best female, because she would have been the only female. She was the best goalie in the tournament, period. Is somebody going to have the cojones to pick her this weekend? Yes. Good. Hands down. Hands down. It, it, 
it's going to be a monumentous occasion because it's such a step forward for this league. Um, we saw it with uh, Ryum in Tampa with the exhibition yep. games and stuff, but never at the OHL level. And everything you read about this young lady is that she is one of the best goaltenders in the draft. So you have to take her. Otherwise, like, I don't even want to think about it if she doesn't because she's going to be drafted and I can't wait to see it. You're, you're that confident. Yes, uh, with, without a shadow of a doubt. I think this league is very progressive in that way, and there's no reason why you shouldn't take her. If she's playing against males, and, and she's one of the best goaltenders in that league, and you're watching all these other goaltenders, why would you take someone because they're a different gender? Take the I, one who can stop the puck. I had to try and uh, go back because I had to double-check the name. Taya Curry, I should have had it off the top of my head, and I'm sorry to Taya for that. Or Taya, if that's the way it turns out to be when they call her name. But don't worry, we'll get you. to know it real well. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be a great story. Uh, we should also give a little shout out to the son of the former standout with the Conestoga College Condors. Believe it or not, there used to be college hockey. They call it the OCAA. I won't bore you with the details. He ended up becoming a referee in the Ontario Hockey League. And quite frankly, he's a beauty, but his son's way better as a player than dad ever could have been. So congratulations to Joel. Your son, Kian, signs his old ELC with the St. Louis Blues. He's a Kitchener boy and a product, of course, of the Mississauga Steelheads. Poor Kian. Every time he plays the Rangers, you bring up Joel and his <laughs> standout at Conestoga College. This kid just signed an entry-level deal in the National Hockey League. Joel should forever now be referred to as Kean's dad, you know, a, not the other way around. Listen, Kean needs nothing from me. Okay. Yeah. He's just fine. But Joel and I are forever linked because my very, I cut my teeth. And uh, when I was broadcasting college hockey games at Conestoga college, seemingly forever ago. And it was washer was the first one that brought it up. Cause I guess he still had some of the old tapes of me calling his games in college. I'm like, Oh my God. Anyway, that's, I, I can't help it. Joel, if you have those tapes, <laughs> no, please send it to farwellandpope at gmail.com because, boy, would I ever like to mix in a couple of those into this podcast. Oh, boy. That's our email address. Uh, he is at underscore Chris Pope on Twitter. I am at farwell underscore OHL. And, hey, on the podcast, leave a rating. Uh, leave a review. Tell us what you like when you email us farwellandpope at gmail.com or what you don't like. We could even get around to reading some of the hate mail on the pod. Fine with that. If you're listening, it's also available on YouTube. If you want to watch our two donkeys of faces, <laughs> um, just OHL stories with Farwell and Pope. Um, and of course, that is Mike Farwell, the voice, the one-time voice of the Conestoga Condors. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> he was a stud in the OCAA. Neither oh, the Conestoga you. College Condors or the OCAA exist anymore. So you just put the two and two together. That's fair. Okay, so <laughs> speaking of not existing anymore, players like our guest this week don't exist anymore, at least not as much, maybe. Don't you say, Mike? I would say. Yeah. Um, let's put it this way. Three seasons in the Ontario Hockey League, six teams. This guy <laughs> is made to tell stories. An enforcer of all enforcers in fact his nickname is the sheriff we get the ups and downs of the life of sean mcmorrow i i think sean i gotta ask if based on your hockey career 
you just carry a suitcase with you every single day of your life now because, you know, whatever. You never know what, what the next move is going to be. Well, I mean, yeah. When I was like the, this time period that we're going to talk about, man, uh, it was I was a pure journeyman. Right. <laughs> but then I got a little bit lucky with a little bit of stability because I was like like any guy that signs his entry level contract which is a lot of guys that are coming from the O and, and moving on. Like um, it's a three-year deal if you're coming from major junior, right? So for a lot of guys, that's their longest deal that they'll ever sign. And then they just sign one-year deals and two-year deals after that, right? So you don't even realize when you're that young, how awesome it is to be on a three-year contract. Like for any job, a three-year contract is great, right? And then, and then I signed a fourth year, Buffalo signed me to a one-year deal after the entry level. So I actually lived in Rochester for four straight years and it, it was very consistent. I did a couple hockey schools there. I, it was a great time that, that time period of my life. I'm sure we'll get into your time in Rochester. Yeah. 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 But this is time. OHL time. Well, yeah. I want to I just go back a little further. I want to find out you were born in, in BC. Um, your parents divorced when you were at a young age, your mother raised you and your siblings. What led you back to Ontario area? Well, when I was six years old, um, that was the time that, that my parents did split up and they had moved to Vancouver as a young couple, both with job offers when it was a time when it, it was like a movement when young couples were moving out to the West Coast and Vancouver was getting very populated. This was in the late 70s, right? And so my parents, you know, they, they laid their seeds there. They, they got a great place. Um, they were married for 16 years, but but again, when I was six years old, we moved to Toronto because that's where my mother is from. That's where all her family is. But the interesting thing is, is that I was born Sean Scipio. McMorrow is my mother's surname. She legally had her names changed at that time. She thought that we would be more comfortable being around all the McMorrows in Toronto, and she was absolutely right. Right, but that was the re- I know that was a long extended version of uh, answer of your question. But that was why we went back, why I went from Vancouver to Toronto. My mom's from Toronto. She had just moved out there um, with her guy when she was young, right? But we moved back to where all the McMorrows are. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud. And and it was a great childhood in Toronto. So I begin with the suitcase joke. You admit journeyman career for sure. You're moving as a family. But in the Ontario Hockey League, Sean, three seasons, Six teams. I mean, that's got to be some kind of record. I'm not sure, but <laughs> Sarnia, Kitchener, Mississauga, Kingston, London, Oshawa. Let's go back to the very beginning under Mark Hunter in Sarnia. What was your welcome to the OHL experience? Well, you know what, man? Like, I, I appreciate like that intro for this topic because it gets me so excited talking about like my my stint in the OHL, man, because Although I played for, like you mentioned, the six teams, man, I had such a good experience everywhere I went. There was very good reasons and very unique reasons why I got moved so much. And we'll get into that because what I plan on doing, gentlemen, is this is OHL stories. Okay. Now, man, I've done my research too, man. I'm a host too now. So I got to do my research. I'm just watching this Leaf playoff game as we're doing this. No, no, I'm, I'm glancing back and forth because I've never seen a playoff fight like Nick Felino and Corey Perry, my buddy from the London Knights, just had. But I'm going to turn this off. 
<laughs> it's all good. It's a little I'm distracting. Eh? No, I'm turning it <laughs> off, gentlemen, because this is OHL story time, right? So what I plan on doing is I'm going to tell a story from every stop that I've had in the league, right? Which is six. But I'm like I mentioned before we started recording, I'm probably going to say a couple Oshawa general stories. Um, but man, coming into the league with Mark Hunter, uh, the sarniest thing at that time, guys, they were a franchise that they were somewhat new. They had the new arena when I was there because this was back in 19. This was back in 2000, right? Night, yeah, 2000. And the arena was pretty new at the time, but they were established, though. And, and the crowds were sold out. Like, I don't know how it is at the Sting Arena now, but when I played, man, it was, I think the capacity is like 5,500. They were getting that. And it was like a mini NHL arena. And, and it was, there was suites and everything. And, and it was just for a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old coming into that, you have to get over the, not the fear, but the, the intimidation, the anxiety of playing in front of big crowds. Because even if you were, you know, a big time player from a, a junior A tier two team, like, for example, my Pickering Panthers team before the OHL, you know, we got good crowds, but we were only getting a couple hundred people in the, in the arena, guys. Go from a couple hundred to 5,000, like screaming fans. And it's all like, you know, like, like it's like the best atmosphere they could create, right, for a mini NHL stadium. And that's what they were able to do in Sarnia. So, man, it was such a thrill to play in the first game of the, of the season. I remember it clearly. Like, I'm a stat guy. So, like, I remember scenarios in my career clearly. And I remember my first game in Sarnia, the big crowd. Now, I was the second rounder, right? So, there's a lot of high expectations on the top picks when you're at the major junior level, as you guys know. And, you know, um, for some reason, I can't think of his first name, but his, his last name was Penner. He was the first rounder. I was the second rounder. Dustin. And, you know, we were both we were both in the lineup. Um, I'm not even sure if the other draft picks even made the lineup. Like we had a pretty strong team in Sarnia, Mark Hunter had. And man, I was in the lineup. All I had on my mind is just make an impact. Like you're here. Like it's like the NHL for players when they when they first start playing major junior. It's like you're in the NHL because man, it's the same schedule as the NHL it's 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 the same pressure as the nhl you're playing at the highest level for your age you know what i mean like it's big time so all i wanted to do was make an impact i knew i might not get a lot of ice time i was the sixth defenseman right in the lineup because i was a d-man at that time and i just remember we were playing the plymouth whalers and i just remember having a chance to grab james ramsey and just I got, I got him so good. I think I surprised him. So I don't think he was really ready. Like I could admit that. And I got a good jump on him and I just boom, 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 boom. And then I think he went down and I did my job. Right. And I, and you know, my, the shifts that I got, I was careful and man, it went well. And I just remember saying, this is the start of my career as a pro. And that's how kids feel at that age. And it, it was quite something guys like, like I really felt big time as a 17 year old playing in a small town of Sarnia, Ontario. It was, it was wonderful.
if our listeners couldn't tell and our viewers on YouTube after that story, uh, you were a bit of a fighter, Sean. You're wearing a shirt, that, a shirt that's called the Sheriff. Did you always know you were going to be a fighter in the OHL? Well, I mean, I was a pretty good hockey player growing up, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened in that era is the guys that were the big guys, like I was a big guy. Like I ended up being 6'4", 225. That was my playing weight in pro. But when I got into the OHL as a 17-year-old, I think I was like, you know, a little bit over 6'3 already. I was already over 200 pounds. I was a stay-at-home defenseman. I knew how to use my size, you know, my poke check, you know, like, you know, but if I was willing to do the extra and do the fighting for my team, it was going to open up doors for me that I couldn't even imagine. And the people that were important to me that I listened to, like important coaches in my past, my current coaches at the time when I was playing in Pickering, this is the year before the OHL. They told me, they said, you know what? If you're willing to do this, this is a big role on the team. So not only will you be in the top four defensemen, but Whenever we need it, we're going to have to depend on you. So what I did was I tried it out in the beginning of the year. And guys, like I know it's going to sound like really arrogant, but the result was is I was just very successful at it. Like, like I don't like to fight off the ice. Like I'm a big, strong guy and stuff, but I mean, I was raised by women, my mom and my sister, my older sister. I got two younger brothers, but I was raised by women and I, I'm a softie at heart, right? So In hockey, naturally, I wasn't that guy. I just had to take the opportunity in order to, like, make myself more valuable as a player and be able to go to the next level. So when I was drafted to the O, I had those expectations. And Mark Hunter is a get-your-nose-dirty type of guy. And he told me that if I did my role, that I would find myself in the lineup every single night. So that was the reason why I started doing it. And the success of me winning my fights, I wasn't known as a knockout king, but I was known as a guy that won the majority of my fights. And that consistency just went on in in that rookie year. I've always been curious about the mindset for a player who knows that's his role, Sean. What's it like coming into a game where, you know, you're lining up against another heavyweight with the other team that knows maybe he wants to, you know, make his uh, reputation on you or whatever. But what's that mindset like when you know that's your role on the hockey club? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the mindset is you have to have an incredible amount of confidence. You have to be so confident in yourself that you're almost overconfident. You believe that you're the toughest guy. So you have to believe that. If you don't believe that, then you have no chance because fighting, I mean, you hear guys like Muhammad Ali say it's 90% mental and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what that number is. It's probably different for everybody, but I know that it's more than, than none. So if you're prepared mentally that you can do the best you can, that you're a warrior, that you're going to defend your guys on your team, you're willing to take a risk to do bare knuckle boxing on ice in front of thousands of people where it's automatically going to be uploaded on the internet. (laughs) So if you're willing to take that risk, you got to be very, very confident. And that's a guy that has character that is desire and that is determination. So you have to fit that character for me, like the, the later part of my career, very easy for me 
because I got into the sheriff character. It took me years to, to mold into that character. When you're a young junior guy, you're learning it. You're learning it. You're practicing. You're practicing it. Then as your career goes on, you become it and you just have to keep it. So you talked about how Mark said that if you play that role, that tough role on your team, as a second round, you'll be in the lineup every night. And then that same season, he trades you to Kitchener. Were you shocked yeah. by that? <laughs> yeah. So now, real quick, <laughs> Christmas time, Sarnia Sting. We all go home. For the 17-year-old, it's incredible because, you know, you miss your girlfriend, man. You miss your buddies at home and you just want to go home for a little bit, right? Like you thought that you're, you hate being where you are, but, you know, you get homesick, especially when you're a teenager, right? You go back so, a big deal. You're a big yeah, deal back home. 100%. You're excited to go home. I'm home for Christmas. We get like, I don't know, four or five days off. Come back. Big team meeting. They tell us too. They like sent like an email to whatever when we were gone. There'll be a big meeting when we come back. So what the meeting was about was they were telling us that Mark Hunter was no longer our coach and general manager. Okay. So now here's another story for you. Cause I think they're both OHL guys going to talk about Dino Cicerelli and Mark Hunter. They're both OHL guys, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So it's for the listeners, viewers that don't know this. I mean, it's, it's a public thing. Just a lot of people don't know. And like, that's what shows like this is all about is to get insights and, and stories. Right. So Dino Cicerelli and Mark Hunter to this day do not like each other. They didn't like each other as players. They don't like, like each other as people. Okay. That that's fine. There's a lot of people that we all don't get along with. We might learn to respect them, but we don't really like them. And that's fine. Right. Not everyone gets along. Now, Cicerelli brothers own the Sarnia thing at this time. There's three of them. Now, this was the year after Dino played his last year in the NHL in Tampa Bay. He just recently retired. Now wants to take on a bigger role with his brothers, with this amazing junior club that they own, the Sarnia thing. Problem is that the guy that they have running the show doesn't really get along with. So when our team wasn't doing too well around the Christmas time, they used every excuse possible because Dino wanted to start taking a bigger role with his brothers that Mark had to go. So they, they asked Mark, that happens. The best of us get fired and we get, we get other jobs, right? But as a result, guys like myself that were handpicked Mark Hunter guys, we were all traded within, within a week of that meeting. So I get traded to Kitchener. Now, the difference between Kitchener and Sarnia, both incredible organizations. Kitchener, I was playing in the arena before the, the one they have now. And it was very, it, it, was like a, it was like a Maple Leaf Gardens almost, that arena. It's still the same one. They just added Is it. it? Oh, they renovated yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Okay, man, I couldn't even imagine what it's like now because it was incredible before the renovation. Okay. So now I get to this team. Now, the thing is, guys, is like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but Mark Hunter probably ran the hardest practices in hockey history at any level, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, practice in Sarnia was so challenging. And, 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 it, and it's rewarding, too, because you don't even know how hard your team practices are unless you get traded or sent down or called up or you know what I mean? Because that's how it is. Man, they were so hard. When I went to Kitch, it seemed like it was like the practices were like morning skates before a playoff game where you're just like getting warm. Like I couldn't believe the difference. So for me, it was like, man, 
Like I can go all out and like, be like, no, I don't want to be a hero in practice, but I'm a rookie, man. Like, this is my draft here. Like, like I want to, I want to get more ice time. Like I'm just going to kill it in practice. And so that's what I was able to do. I was able to dominate in practice. I'm used to these crazy practices in Sarnia. So now I'm going all out in Kitchener doing really well. Guys are like, holy shit. Like McMorrow, like, man, he works hard. Really? I was just doing the same thing I was doing in Sarnia, right? They just weren't at the same level with the intensity in practice. And that's a, an advantage of being a, like under a hunter team, like Dale, Mark, any of the people that are associated with them, they're all about that. So like, that's a little advantage, that intensity. So, I mean, with Kitchener, I mean, guys, like, the, the craziest story that comes out of my mind with Kitchener is at that time, Johnny Erskine was the toughest guy in the OHL. Okay. Now he went on to have a great career in the NHL for Washington. And, and like, we didn't, I'm a big hockey fan. I didn't see a lot of Erskine, but he was there for a long time. And it seemed like he just got comfortable in Washington and didn't really make too many headlines, but he, he kept resigning and the man played a lot of games and, and he fought all the top heavyweights. But when he was in the OHL, he was the king in my mind. My first year, and it was his last year. We go into London, into the Ice House. I know Erskine had heard about me, man, because I, I, I was on a roll. Like, I was on a tear. Like, I don't even think I'd really been, like, like, obviously, I lost a few. But as a rookie, like, no one had really, really got me. Like, I was, like, did well in all my fights. And they're like, wow, this guy's doing well. So Erskine, and he was looking at me in warm-up, and I was, like, getting all nervous. And. I get nervous before every game. And so I had just finished a shift and I'm going off. Erskine looks at me and says, you know, what the F are you looking at? And he cross checks me right before I, I get off, like right, right at the gate. And I fall down and everything. The fight's on YouTube. It's actually very, very funny, like how it starts. So he gives me the cross check. I fall. I get right back up and I just drop my gloves, man. And I've just done a shift. So that anybody that has ever fought in hockey, they know that that's mistake number one. Yep. You got to be ready. You cannot fight at the end of your shift. Me being a 17, 18-year-old, whatever, man, I was just so excited that it was Johnny Erskine that I just did it. And so the fight actually went pretty well for me. I was lucky that he couldn't get my helmet off. Like, that's like a big – the commentators even make a comment. They're like, well, Erskine's having a really hard time getting McMorrow's helmet off. And meanwhile, I'm just like, thank God my helmet's on. <laughs> I did well in the fight. That up my status for the draft as well, because Erskine was the top guy in the league. And that was that you got to remember, this is at a time when fighting still important. Like teams are like legitimately scouting tough guys being like, you know, who are we going to bring up? Like our guys are getting kind of washed up. Like that was a part of it, man. Like guys, people are forgetting, but, but yeah. And man, like it was just how it happened. The fact that it was Johnny Erskine, the fact that I was lucky that I didn't die. <laughs> to me, that was a story that, that that sticks out a lot for for Kitchener. I have a feeling that that connection to Mark Hunter is going to come back up again when you eventually find yourself back in London. But we're not there yet because the suitcase <laughs> needed to be packed, Sean, from from Kitchener to Mississauga under an NHL All Star in Rick Vive, and and I. I was thinking of this when you talked about the differences in coaching going from Mark Hunter and Sarnia to Brian Hayton and Kitchener and what practices were like. And now I'm wondering how's Rick Vive running a practice in Missy. Okay. So now this is the best podcast or the most honest podcast, right? <laughs> right. Right. We're going to be honest now. 
I'm a big Leaf fan. I was a big fan of Rick Vive. I'm a big fan of Rick Vive, the player. Rick Vive, the player, big fan of him. As a coach, I'm not a big fan of him. Not a big deal. We've all heard, who is it? Who's that player that's always all over the, the, uh, Babcock? Mike Commodore. Yeah, Mike Commodore. Mike Commodore. <laughs> it's not a situation like that, okay? But Rick Vive, I mean, I think it was just, it was just the situation. The team didn't do well when I was there. I was devastated getting traded from Kitchener because, like I said, man, like obviously I ended up getting drafted. It was, I was a late pick. I was an eighth rounder in a nine-round draft, but I got drafted. I had a successful first year. Yes, I had a good experience in Sarnia, got my work ethic up, got working hard, you know, type of mentality. Kitchener, I was with Derek Roy. I was with like guys that, I ended up, you know, Andrew Peters, guys that I ended up playing with a lot, like, like later in my career. Right. And I was very comfortable there. We had a big, we had a lot of guys that were rookies, man. We had Mike Amadeo. We had, we had, I remember there was a guy named Armstrong. There was a guy named uh, Jimmy Gagnon. There was myself. There was our backup goalie, Dickie, Scott Dickie. He was, you know, we had like a group, man, like seven, eight rookies. Right. And we were good friends, man. And we were doing well. And like, you know, a bunch of us were getting drafted and like, we're like, we had a nice little core there. And then I get a call in the summer and they're like, Sean, you know what? Like, um, Jamie McDonald was our general manager, such a professional guy, man. And I remember the way that he, he called me, he told me like very professionally right before, like they made it like an announcement, like to the press and stuff in Kitchener. And they're like, Sean, you know what? Like, man, I, I just made a trade for you with, you know, for Marcus Smith to the Mississauga Ice Dog, Sean, Marcus Smith was, he was one of the highest picks last year, Sean, and we value you so much and don't tell anyone, Sean, but we're actually going to try to get you back next week because we have a bunch of draft picks that we're going to use. Like he's telling me all this stuff. And, and like, so I don't like, you know, feel betrayed or anything because he's like being all nice to me. He's like, he was really good at that. But, but at the same time, I'm like, oh man, I'm gone from my buddies, my second trade too, man. I've only played one year. You know what I mean? So right now I'm officially on three teams, but I've had a good year, right? So it's like, it's different for me. It was, it was very unique for me. Mm-hmm. I get to Mississauga. That's the year that Jason Spezza is up for, to be the first overall pick in the NHL draft, right? So we have Spezza, Spezza, because I'm actually working with, with Matt now, like doing some part-time stuff. He owns a sanitation company, and I've been working with him and he's like, you know what, Mac, I, I don't like the way you don't, don't know how to pronounce my name properly. <laughs> you keep calling me Spezza, Spezza. It's not Spezza, it's Spezza. It's Spezza. So That's Jason <laughs> Spezza, he's up for the first overall pick. It's him or Kovalchuk, right? And, you know, he's got Bobby Orr as the agent and Bobby Orr and Don are like best friends. But Bobby Orr is like, you know, Don, we can't keep him on the team because he's not going to go first overall because you guys might make the playoffs probably won't, but he's got to be on a winning team, man. If we have a chance to be the first overall pick, there's millions at stake, his draft position, you, you know, you, you, you got to be able to let him go here. We got to trade him. Finally, they traded him the Windsor. They traded him for five players, right? So when those five players came in, they had to trade another five players to make room for them. So boom, another Don cherry picked guy, because they were trying to like change up the whole toughness stuff because we were just too tough. Brian McGratton, myself, like we had a lot of guys that could really throw down, man. And it, it was at that age, you don't need 10 tough guys on a team. You can have one or two 
and, and have a good team. You don't need to have the 10 guys. So, man, so I, I get traded from Mississauga to Kingston now. My buddy, Don Cherry, who I had on my show last week, you know, he went out of his way, made me feel comfortable that I was going to his hometown, made me feel good as a young kid that's now on his fourth team, getting traded three times, and it's only been a year and a half, man, right? The Wichell careers are very short. I'm halfway through. I'm already on my fourth team. And, you know, I was only there for three weeks. But one of the other stories I wanted to tell guys was I mentioned that I'm, I've been very successful in my fights in my career. Well, every fighter knows that you can't win them all. You can't. And if you talk to a real fighter, like a guy that's a, a true professional, he can talk about losses no problem because he knows that there's probably going to be about 20, 30, 40, 50 in his career. You know what I mean? And if you're not able to accept that as a tough guy, you'll never be able to play more than one or two seasons because then the mental health will come in and you won't be able to ever recover from a loss, right? Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, everybody's, everybody's lost. The best of all time have lost. The Cy Young pitcher in baseball has a couple losses. You know what I mean? So one of my big losses was against Kyle Werner on the North Bay Centennials. I'm playing for Kingston. I only played seven games for them. It was like the second or third game. I'm on a new team. It's in Kingston. This guy, like, I didn't even know who he was, but we're skating up ice. And he's like, hey, McMorrow, you want to go? And I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) He's like, yeah, let's go. I'm like, all right. So we go. Boom, 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 boom. He puts me down. Like, I don't know if I slipped or whatever, but he put me down from a punch, right? And the fight was over. Refs get in. I'm like, Jesus, I, I just... I just got tuned up, man. My first fight with Kingston, I get tuned up by Kyle Werner. I don't even know what, whatever ended up happening with Kyle. I mean, I'm sure that he's a great man doing whatever he's doing, but I don't know what happened to him, man. But yeah, he, he was a forward for North Bay. And he, he, he got me, man, in the chin, put me down. And Larry Mavity pulled me aside after the game. And he said to me, and I'm going to do my best Larry Mavity impression, okay? Please do. Okay. So, Larry Mavity goes, you know what, Sean? You know why you lost that fight? Why, Mav? Why did I lose the fight? I'm all, I'm all depressed after the game. We lost. I'm sitting in my stall, right? You lost the fight because you weren't prepared. You weren't ready. I don't think you mentally prepared for this game today, Sean. And you need to make sure that you're ready mentally for every game and you'll never lose another fight in your career. You're that good. Right? So I'm just like, I, like I, took, it, I took it with, you know, you know I'm, I'm a young kid, right? But I appreciated him saying that. He gave me some confidence because what he said, even though he said I wasn't ready, was he, he said that was the reason why I didn't win, that he had confidence in me that, that I will win continuously, but I just got to make myself ready. And he also let me know that he knew how tough I was, right, being the new coach. So I think that really helped. And I think he knew that he was doing that. I, it wasn't his first barbecue. I can tell you that, right? So, yeah. And, guys, I know how long I'm going on here, so I don't even know how long we've been recording. So just let me know if I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, no, Mac, the, the podcast doesn't stop until the stories stop. So yeah. you just okay, go. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. 
We had we had good. Sherry Bazin on. He talked for two hours, so <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, I was going to ask about your time in Kingston, but it was short under Larry Mabney. You talked about your time in Mississauga and how much of a struggle it was. I went back and looked. It was uh, one win, three ties, and nine losses in your time in Mississauga. That's not easy. But was it easier or more difficult in Mississauga than when you got traded to Kingston? You fought against Kingston the night before. And then you get traded, and then you got to suit up for the same team you just fought against. That first game in Kingston was a tough walking into the room. I mean, you just fought someone on that in that dressing room. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was kind of like playing for Mississauga. As weird as it's going to sound, guys, just because like I mean, you have to imagine like like okay, I'm trying to think of like a more modern player. Like I mean, Sidney Crosby is getting old now. That's how old I am. I'm thinking, who's young? Sidney Crosby? <laughs> the guy's in his 30s now, right? Okay, so let's think like I don't know, man. Like Connor McDavid. Okay, when Connor McDavid's playing major junior and he and he was up for the draft. Like you got to remember, like all the attention that that his junior team must have got, and like there, there was a lot of cameras around all the time. We're we're in a team that's that the Ice Dogs were in Mississauga, right? So we're in the GTA. We were getting a lot of attention. It almost seemed like we're almost like in a movie. Like we you know we had Rick Vive as our coach. Like he's like an, an all time Leaf great, right? And then you know Spez is on the team, and you know even guys like McGratton, man, like like Gratz, like. Man, he got like tougher when he turned pro, right? Like he, he's a very different like case. Like he was such a good hockey player, but he figured out that if he fought, that he was gonna have a long career in the NHL. So that's what the man did. He probably could have been a power forward, like a guy that even fought less than Lucic does now and, and and been able to play and stay in the lineup. But he just knew that if he did that when he was in Ottawa, that he was gonna have that fourth line right wing spot. And, and that, and he, he's a warrior. So that's what he did. Right. But like, man, Mississauga was like a being in a movie. So when I got traded to Kingston, you know, I just, I just have like a guy that I watched every Saturday night coach's corner, you know, talk to me, like I'm one of his buddies in the lock. And like, you know what I mean? Saying like, you know, you're going to Kingston, everything's good. I talked to Larry Mavity. So like, I kind of felt like I was like a VIP almost going there. So I, I think that, I just kind of didn't notice like little things like that. Like, Oh, what are these guys going to think, man? I just fought against them last week. Like I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm just thinking of like, yeah, I'm coming from the Mississauga ice dogs. We didn't win, but man, were we flashy <laughs> man? Were our uniforms looking nice. We got, you got to say those Mississauga ice dog uniforms, man, those are some of the coolest sports uniforms. I've still to this day, whoever designed that, I don't know. It was probably Tim Cherry. You know what I mean? But because Tim Cherry did all the Rock'em Sock'ems and all that kind of stuff, right? But like, man, that was a nice jersey. I was really proud to wear that cool jersey. I just wish we put some wins together, man. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, yeah. so the the aesthetics and the, the fashion appeal aside, it was something I was curious about given all the teams you played for. If you were going to pick one and frame the jersey from your OHL career, which one would it be? Okay, man, it would have to be it's really weird. It'd have to be like a like a London Knights jersey, but like the arms and the neck would be like an Oshawa Generals. <laughs> Those are the two teams that I kind of like where, where I made my mark. Because with London, it was the Hunter Brothers. And, and, and guys, here's another OHL story for you. Now, you got to remember, this was a fire sale in Mississauga, right? After the Spezza trade. 
fire sale. They had to get rid of at least five or six roster spots, right? And we had a bunch of second and third year guys that year. So a lot of guys were getting moved. Like I ended up getting my best friend, Dan Sullivan, who that who I met on that team, ended up being the best man in his wedding. He got married in Pensacola when we were in our 20s. I met a lot of cool people on that team, but we all knew we were getting dealt. So like, it was like, it it was a really big deal. And I guess London was trying to get me from the get-go, but Mississauga was just trying to get as much as they could for every player because they really didn't do well the first few years in the league. And they were like, okay, now with this, they looked at it as an opportunity, the Spezza trade. They're like, we're not good now with him. So let's good. Let's get good from him. Let's let's use the assets that we get from this player and really turn our organization around like that. And if you think of it, if any of us were in that position, we would have had that same mindset. Right. So they were really trying to get they didn't want to rush the trades. They just wanted to get the best thing for every guy. So I kind of understand, but I really wish that they didn't that they just traded me to London because again, I'm 18 years old, guys. It's very difficult to just move around like this, even if you think you're in a movie or not. Truman Show or not, man. You know what I mean? It's still difficult if you're 18 and you think you're in a Truman Show, right? So, so yeah, like, anyway, like, so, like, like from, from, from going, so the London Knights told me when I got there that they had tried to get me, like I've mentioned from the beginning, but that Mississauga didn't feel they were offering enough. So as soon as I got to Kingston, it, it was, I, I don't know, like, again, I got traded for some good players though, man. I was, I was, I, I was, my confidence was up. I, I got um, the guy, Lou Dickinson, Lou, sweet Lou, man. That's who I got traded when I went from Kingston to London. Sweet Lou went the other way. And, and like, I thought, man, I, I was, I was very okay with that. My sister was going to the university of Western Ontario at the time. Um, and I always kind of was fond of the London Knights, like, you know, being a kid from Ontario, like they won a lot of Calder Cups and stuff, even before like the the Corey Perry, the, the Hunter era, really. They they were they were a popular team, right? So so I was pretty excited to go. The fact that my sister was in the same city, you know, she's only three years older than me, and you know, she helped raise me, as I mentioned earlier. So it was in a very exciting thing for me to go to London. And the fact that it was the hunters and they told me how they've been trying to get me for months. Like I felt very welcome. Um, and, and again, man, it was the same type of situation, not saying that the practices were easy, but it was the same situation with the group of guys that were there. Like it was in Kitchener, you know what I mean? So it, it was, it was, I, I hit it off right away. They put me in as a forward. That's when I kind of switched from defenseman to forward. Okay. And the hunters used me as a tough guy forward. And I was able to solidify myself as people saying that I was the toughest guy in the league. Right. And then that was what helped me to get, sign my entry level. All I had to do was prove that I could play. And that was, and that's like going to be like the Oshawa's <laughs> before we go to Oshawa. Yeah. Dale Hunter has come up on this podcast so many times. I don't even know how many, like okay. a gazillion. And obviously, you know, both Mike and myself are based as Kitchener Rangers broadcasters. Let's just say Dale isn't the most liked person in Kitchener, to put it mildly. Oh, I, I, right? and I could understand that yeah. for sure. I mean, so, you as have a, to understand as a, as a, as a guy that was in the room. Of course, the success is there. But what was it like with a guy like Dale? I mean, I, with Dale Hunter, it's like the guy played in the NHL for so long, right? So – 
we've all seen him and followed his career, like him or not, we've all done it. And we've done it for a long period of time. From the Nordiques to the, you know, to like, like, like he, he, like I just, I felt like I knew him for so long. I was a Mark Hunter guy, right? So Mark Hunter was the guy that brought me in, the guy that coached me. When Dale came in, it was like they talk the same. They have the same type of tone and same type of personality. So it's it's a little bit trippy because you know that they're brothers, but it's like the same person. They just look different. They have the same values. All the hunters do. Even even Logan and 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 uh, I don't know why I can't think of first names, but I played with a bunch of them. Right? There was a couple sons mm-hmm. and a couple nephews. Uh, Rick Stedman was the nephew, you know. And then we had Dylan Hunter and we had Logan Hunter. There you go. Sorry, boys, if you're watching. You know, I love you guys. <laughs> so they're all the same, man. They're the hardest workers. They'll fight anybody. And they were just brought up that if you're more intense and hardworking than the guy that you're lined up against, that you're going to win that hockey game. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way that they do it. The only difference is, is that Dale and Mark got so good with scouting and coaching that because they played in the NHL for so long, all the skill knowledge came out. So now they got these rough, tough players, tough mentality. Like I told you I had in Sarnia, but then they're developing guys like, like Patrick Kane and, 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 you know, and, and, and Corey Perry and, and, and Dennis Weidman. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on Danny Sibret. There's so many guys that those guys have, have hand, like handpicked brought into the NHL, man. And it's because of the program that they run. The London Knights, hands down, best program in the OHL, hands down, hands down. So when you talk about the program, take us through it. Is it the way that, you know, you're, you're treated as a player? Is it the way going back to you, the practices you talked about, Mark running, et cetera? Like what makes it such a good program? Okay. So like, put it this way. The thousands of dollars they illegally pay. Stop for. it, Hoper. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I don't know about like stuff like that because like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy that it's been so long since I've been in the league and and you know I've been like here and there so like I'm I'm sure there is some stuff behind the scenes so I got to get caught up with that stuff <laughs> we'll talk about that on, on another show but like pretty much what I mean is like for example I pl- I got traded there the when I got traded from Kingston and then there was the summer and then there was my third season so I start the year in London but over the summer Mark and Dale Hunter, they're the type of guys where they treat the players like pros. So I'll give you an example. Now, at this time, I am 19 years old because I'm a January birthday, right? So I, I turn my next year, you know, mid through the season. So it's my third year. I'm already 19. I'm going to turn 20 in January. I'm not an overager, but I'm whatever. So I'm an older guy is what I'm trying to get at. Mark Hunter let me live with my girlfriend who was a student at the university of Western that had her own apartment. And he had met her and knew that she was like a responsible girl. She was a couple years older than me. And he knew that with me, I would be better living with her. He, he gave her billet checks just like she was a normal billet, right. For the groceries and all that. Right. And it worked. Where on other teams, not trying to knock him because he's one of the best coaches I've ever had, but, but George Burnett would never, 
ever, ever let that happen. Ever. And I don't know if we have time for me to say ever like 50 <laughs> more times. <laughs> right? So there's just like a difference. Like, like George didn't play like how Mark, where Mark played, right? So he doesn't know like what it's really like. And some 19-year-olds are better off living with their girlfriends than having a billet and having to follow the family rules of the billet. And then what if like they clash and it affects his play and now he's not doing good in school. Like Mark knows that you could avoid all that and just do what's best for the player and for the team, right? So they got that down pat because he was in Sarnia for all that time before London, they got so much experience on how to build like a strong front office. Like, like, you know how much they were criticized on building that arena downtown? Because that's when I was there, when all the talk and plans, they're like, you'll never be able to do it. You'll, people will never be able to pay for parking in, in a congested congested downtown London. Buddy, it was probably one of the most successful sports moves in Ontario history. Never mind hockey, man, right? So you got to credit the Hunters for that. They're business genius. And you guys being Kitchener guys, You probably want to like stab me in a part of my body right now. So it's cool. Right. But I'm just talking real though. And, and you know what, like Kitchener, if I was there longer, I'd probably be talking about them like this too, because like I said, man, I got drafted to the NHL because of my experience in Kitchener. Right. But I'm just talking about the fact that London was the team I played for the longest. I was pretty much there for almost a year and a half. And for a guy that played for six teams in three years, that's actually a long stint, half of that stint, right? So, so yeah, so that's where my experience lies, guys, right? And, and that's what I call the system. Listen, I was just joking about the, uh, about the, the money in London and whatnot. We, Farwell and I talk about all the time, how they're, you know, they're the cream of the crop in the OHL. They both are so successful, so intelligent. They're such smart hockey guys. We have nothing but positive things. Well, we have other things to say too, but we we know the positive aspects that the Hunters bring to this league. So you mentioned, um, obviously, George Burnett. What did he mean to your career in Oshawa? So me and George, man, like, like I, like, uh, I love George, man. And like, I know he's, he's the type of guy too. Like it's usually players like love him or hate him. Right. And like, so you have to understand, like I was a guy I was a stay-at-home defenseman for half of my OHL career. So in my defense of what I'm about to bring up, okay? It took me a long time to score a goal in Major Junior, okay? It took me a couple of years. games. Yeah, right? <laughs> I came close a bunch of times. And like I said, man, I was a stay-at-home defenseman. I wasn't supposed to score. But the fact that the end of my second and my third season, I was a forward. And looking at my stats and seeing the big goose egg, you know, it was very weird, right? So like, so... I get to Oshawa and you have to understand this is two and a half years into a three-year career. Like I'm one of the older guys now, you know, I have this title of, of, you know, like, like whatever, but being one of the tougher guys, toughest guys, whatever you want to say it. And now, so the London Knights, another good thing that they did is they told me again, just like how Jamie McDonald told me in Kitchener, they, they called my, my girlfriend's house and like, we didn't even answer the first time. Like I remember hearing a voicemail. I think we were even out for dinner. Like, right. And we come home and we hear this voicemail. We're like, Oh, something's going on. And like, you have to remember that's my girlfriend. Right. And she goes to school there. So if, if I'm moving, like she's going to be upset. Right. Like I'm young. Right. So, <laughs> so, so we, I call him, I call Mark back and, and Mark's like, Sean, got to talk to you about some stuff. 
Uh, we had to make a move here. Uh, we're doing this for your career. We're doing it for the team. And it's best for everybody. And we're trading you to Oshawa. They, Brian McGratton just, okay, it'll be easier if I don't do the Mark Hunter impression. So Brian McGratton, he got into a big fight. And, and Gratz has told this to people. So it's not like I'm telling stories that I shouldn't. Although this, these are exclusive OHL stories. Brian McGratton got into a big fight with George Burnett about a week before I got traded there. And I guess, I don't know, he was upset, flipped the, flipped the desk or something. And George, being the very strict guy that he is, there was no way Brian was going to play another game for the team, right? Because that's how George works. And so they traded him to like Owen Sound or something. I don't even know where Gratz went. Like, I think it was Owen Sound he got traded to. I don't know why I'm thinking that. But anyway, after Oshawa, wherever Brian McGratton went, that was the time that I came. And so pretty much, even though I wasn't anywhere close to the player Brian McGratton was, George just wanted a guy that could fill the role of a power forward on the third line. Not on the fourth line, on the third line, which means you're getting a regular shift. And that's what he promised the Hunters because the Hunters didn't want to trade me, man. They liked having like the toughest line in the league because it was like me, Chris Bain, and like, I don't know, you put Dan Buccella or or whoever. It was a bunch of guys you could have put with us. And we were one of the tougher lines that you could get at that time. And the Hunters loved that, right? Because we would get big crowds at, at the Ice House, and they wanted to see the tilts too, right? So they, it was people were paying money at the gate to see some tilts. And I know that was part of the business, especially at that time. This is a long time ago that we're talking. And, um, and yeah, so, so, so pretty much, I mean, I, I the, the, like, okay, so they told me that they told me that I, I, so, so George wanted a guy that would fill that role play. And I've never had that opportunity before guys. So I'm now being able to play a regular shift after the first couple of weeks, they ended up throwing me in front of the net on the power play. So now I'm, I'm, I'm already confident because I think I'm the toughest thing in, in, in the world. I'm 19 years old. People are telling me I'm the toughest guy in the league. You tell a 19 year old that he's going to think that he's tougher than Superman, Right. So that's what, where my head was at. Now I'm playing a regular shift, right? And I'm, then I start scoring. I start scoring. Like I score a goal and I'm like, geez, I got a goal now. Then I scored again, like a couple of games later that I get pick up an apple, got like three points in my last five games. Like for me, it's a big deal, right? Then we play Peterborough. Peterborough Pete's. This is in Oshawa. Big rivalry, Oshawa versus Peterborough, right? Score a goal in the first period. On a wraparound, awesome, like a Doug Gilmore 1994 wraparound, man. Do that somehow. Second one, defenseman shoots it from the point, and I tip it, tip it right off, right off the, the blade of my stick. Boom, bing, off the crossbar and in. Two goals, man. Third one, get, get a pass in the high slot, and I just bury it. Three goals. I got Ben Eager on my team. I got Nathan Horton on my team. Chris Beckford, Sue. We, we, you know what I mean? We, and, and boom, three goals. Make a crazy celebration. Three goals. I didn't have three goals in my career. And I'm scoring three goals in one game. A PP and two short, like, you know. And I, I couldn't believe it, man. So now I'm at two ultimate high levels of confidence. Because now I think that I'm a 50-goal goal scorer and the toughest guy in the OHL. 
right? So now this is going to come to my next story, okay? So now you guys know where I'm at with my head, okay? <laughs> I'm, and now this is the same time that the movie Ali was released. The Muhammad Ali story where Will Smith is, is Ali, okay? I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Absolutely. There's a scene in the movie where they're in Africa, right? The Rumble in the Jungle. And it's like um, Frazier's camp is still training, but Muhammad Ali's camp is just entering the training facility, right? And there's a couple drums that are there because, like, you know, they got all the authentic stuff there, right? So Muhammad grabs the, the – he didn't even grab sticks. He was using his hands. So he grabs some of the drums, and just to kind of taunt the, the, the Frazier camp, he goes on his drums, do, 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 do. The champ is here. Do, 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 do. The champ is here. Ladies and gentlemen, the heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali, is here. Right? And, and he's the, he knows oh, they could all hear him. And he's just trying to, like, mess with George. With, I, I don't know if it was Fraser or George. It was George. It was George that he fought in, in this one. So, so, it, it, so he wanted to get in George's head. So that's what he did. So when I was in Oshawa, I had confidence like Muhammad Ali. I had just freshly watched that movie in the theater with my buddies. And I thought I was Muhammad Ali now. I had the hair and everything, guys. I had a little fro, just like Will, did, Will Smith did in the movie. And what I would do in warm-up is I was so confident. And I was really big at this time. And when I get big, when I work out, my shoulders and my arms, they, they're the ones that come out first. Okay? I, I Sometimes Big Bird, Bird asks where his legs are and stuff. Right? <laughs> But my shoulders to my arms, man, I, I, I'm happy with my jeans with that. So I used to wear cutoff shirts, right? So I wear cutoff shirts. And, you know, guys go out in the stands and they tape their sticks and, you know, they do their little skipping and they do their little routines, right? And everyone's kind of scattered all over the arena and the arena is empty, right? So you could hear stuff. Like if guys are getting loud and stuff, if they're taping their sticks by the bench, you can kind of hear whatever. But I would walk out there and I'd be like, okay, who's out here? Okay, we got... Okay, a bunch of guys on the other team are out here. Okay, perfect. So I take my stick and I bang it against the boards. Same thing. Do, 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 do. The champ is here. Do, 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 do. Ladies and gentlemen, the heavyweight champion of the OHL is here. And then I was doing the, the woo, the Ric Flair thing. I've been doing that since I was 18, 19 years old, man. I, I would do, ladies and gentlemen, OHL heavyweight champion, Sean McMorrow is here. And I go, woo, and I'd smash the boards. And I would see the reaction of the guys on the other side. Like, and they'd be looking and they'd be like, oh my God, we got to play against this guy tonight. This guy's a lunatic. Meanwhile, I'm just creating my cameo. I'm just creating a character. It was so fun for me, especially when I was older and everyone knows the feeling of being a third year guy compared to a rookie, right? You're more comfortable. You're more confident. Man, I was, it was such a fun time for me. It, it was, it was great. And, and like, look how excited I am talking about the OHL, a guy that got traded a bunch of times, six teams, three years. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was just really cool for me. It was unique. And I think all the stops, I got something good out of all of them. And I got to meet so many people. And the fact that I want to get into what I want to get into now with the public speaking and the broadcasting and the media part of it. I think that it's an advantage to me now because I've met all those guys. Like, like I played with guys 
who I played with on Kitchener that I'm buddies with right now, Sarnia, like I play for a lot of teams, man. And, and I know I have friends from all those teams and they're all hockey people. And you guys know how small the hockey world is. Right. So I think it's helped me. I get made fun of a lot, especially by close friends of mine, man, were you ever a suitcase <laughs> in junior? And I say, yeah, man, I know I was man, but it was a fun ride. Right. I think looking at your hockey resume, Sean, you've seen the entire world through the game. But I know this is OHL stories. Can't resist, though, asking the question, obviously, because it's every player who's ever played the game's dream. And you got to live it. Just one game, but you got to live it. An eighth rounder to Buffalo, and you get one game in the show with the Sabres. What do you remember? What was it like that day? It was, it, was, it was a dream come true. It was a dream come true. Um, the reason being is I'm a Canadian kid from Scarborough. Um, the way that I grew up is a Saturday night where I wasn't playing my own team's game. If we didn't have a game on a Saturday, what my routine was is to walk over to my grandfather's house who lived about five minutes away and have hot chocolate and... Raisin brand toast, watching Hockey Night in Canada, whatever team the Leafs were playing against, but really looking forward to the first intermission, Coach's Corner with Don Cherry. And that's how I grew up from when I was very, very young till I was gone in the OHL. And the fact that a kid from Toronto got called up against his home team got to play in his hometown in hockey night on hockey night in Canada on a Saturday night. That's a dream come true. I think to many Canadians and I was one of them and I, and I was lucky enough to have that opportunity. And even though it was just a one regular season game, like it's, it's such a big deal to me because it's my culture. Like it's my, it's, it's everything to me. Right. So um, I'll always cherish it. Uh, if our show was was a triple series, I could continue, but it's just going to take too long. But but yeah, it was just it was incredible, man. It was it was it was a dream come true. That that's the best way that I could explain it. When you walked in the room and you saw Rob Ray, were you really like, okay, the champ is here? <laughs> I mean, yeah, man, I was, and you know what? Like like I was a draft pick since I was eighteen. I got to go to a bunch of training camps. I got to play preseasons, like leading up to this regular season game, and. And I tried to get Razor to go in so many in so many training camp scrimmages, man. And he was just so like like he he was such it was such set in stone that he was there because he's a legend there, right? That he just knew that he did not have to fight, especially at that part of his career. You know what I mean? And there was a time where where I I just fucking sorry guys, I didn't mean to swear, but I I just I laid into him and hit him extra hard. And he was so mad that I did that in a scrimmage, an air squad game, that he just took his stick, man, and he just took a baseball swing. He missed me by just a couple inches. He was a guest on my podcast a few episodes ago, and we talked about this incident that I'm describing right now. It was pretty funny seeing Razor's face and telling the story because man, I was scared when he did it. I thought he was gonna take my head off. You mentioned Don Cherry earlier, too, as another guest recently on your podcast, Mac. Uh, Obviously, you've maintained friendships with these people over the years, but Don Cherry was an executive 
in the league, right? And you're you're playing for his team in Mississauga. How does that relationship grow? Well, I'll tell you what, like there's there's the one thing I learned is that like for example, I learned that volunteer work, when people hear that word, they think that it's like a punishment. They think that it's like a bad thing if you have to do volunteer work. Volunteer work is a code word for opportunity, for experience, for learning new skills. You know what I'm saying? So like the key that that I find is that you have to be as honest as you can. And if you stay that way, the relationships that you stay with, like, for example, Don Cherry has a nephew named named, um, Steve Cherry that was an assistant coach on the team. Okay. He also, his son, Tim. I, I became friends with Tim and Steve along the way and didn't really have too much contact with Don. Okay. So now Trevor Whiffin was my general manager with the Mississauga Ice Dogs. He has a daughter named Patrice Whiffin, who is also a recent guest on my show. Okay. She was running the Hamilton Bulldogs um, front office, OHL. Okay. Um, I know you, like the seasons have been all messed up lately, but this is pretty recently, like in the last like two seasons, she was like, whatever. And I've had relationships with her. They're all connected to Don. Now that I'm doing my podcast, I watched Coach's Corner my whole life. The guy that I want on my show when I started was Grapes, man. That was like, if I could have had him as my first guest, I would have, right? It took a long buildup to get that man on my show. The man hasn't done anything in a long time, right? And with all the stuff with CBC and everything that happened, like he has his own podcast, but he hasn't really been doing interviews. So it was a really big deal for me to get him. For one reason, the man's 87 years old, okay? And, you know, I, I adore the guy. There was a point that I really wanted to bring up um, that, like, I, I was really upset with the, the, the court of public opinion after his, you know, parting ways the official word would be firing from CBC. And it, 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 I, I feel like as, as a visible minority that knows Don Cherry very well, that was with him when I was very young, a guy that when I got traded, one of my OHL stories, when I got traded to the Kingston Frontenacs, he made a point to come to the arena that day. He knew there was going to be a couple trades when I got traded, he pulled me aside, actually pulled me into the hallway and said, look, you're going to my hometown. I know you're upset, but don't worry. Keep your head up. I've spoken to Larry Mavity. They got big plans for you. You're going there with welcome arms. You're going to be received with welcome arms. And for an 18-year-old kid at that time, that meant so much to me that a sports icon was taking the time for a guy that just got traded from his team. He had no vented interest in me whatsoever. And he did that. Why? Because he cares, because he has a great heart, and because he's a great man. And I know that. I have personal experiences with him. Now that I have a platform on my show, you better believe I was bringing that up. I would, be, I would feel so guilty if Don passed on and no one tried to do what I did on my show. And I was pretty much pointing out the fact 
that Don's already made it public that he did not mean to hurt anybody's feelings by his comments and that he also wished that he used the word everyone instead of you people. And he admitted that that was a big mistake on his part, right? But what he did was he did the interview on Fox News. And Fox News does not get too much traction in Canada. And people started building up this opinion on my friend Don Cherry. And it was not the right opinion. And it was not an accurate opinion. And even family members of mine, extended family members, okay, had a certain opinion of him because they don't know the guy like I do. So it was very important to me. I didn't get Don to, to say himself these things, but he agreed that it was, it's very fair to say that he was sorry if he hurt anyone's feelings, that it was taken out of context, that he did not mean for it to hurt anyone's feelings, and he was not centering out anybody, that he meant everyone. And he said, you people, because that's the way that he talks. I've heard him say that phrase a million times, referring to so many different types of groups or people. And, and, and when it comes to races, he was mostly talking about the Caucasian race when he used that term. Okay? The problem with Don, I love him, but Don is stubborn, like a lot of us are. And he was mad the way that he was come at. And he's stubborn, and he did not want to say that he was sorry to the CBC. But he is sorry to anybody that took that out of context and that their feelings may have been hurt. And he agreed to that on my show. And he said, you're absolutely correct for pointing this out. And I felt so much better because even though it didn't go viral and CBC didn't, didn't announce that they're happy that Don Cherry agreed that he's sorry, none of that came out of it. But deep down with me, I know what I was trying to do. And I just wanted to let people know who this man was. And, and I was able to accomplish that. So that's how much Don Cherry means to me. A, a guy that I looked up to my whole life since I was a little kid watching Hockey Night in Canada with my grandfather in Scarborough. I think stubborn is a perfect way to put it. Um, he spent <laughs> yeah. the majority of his career in the American Hockey League, where you then went to and you won Man of the Year three times. Is that the proudest moment of your career? It's the most important part because... As I was mentioning before, um, doing, doing public and promotional appearances, aka volunteer work, what that brought to me was I wanted to, I, I wanted to model the career of Rob Ray. So I want to get that out there first because I know he's a fellow alumni as well, right? Rob Ray? Of the OHL? Yeah. I don't, did Razor play? Pretty sure, man. Yeah. When Cornwall, when Cornwall had a team, right? The Royals. That's before my time. Yeah. I'm okay. Only, oh, I'm of course. The Razors. But hey, man, you're a young dude, man. You're a young dude, of course. But yeah, I wanted to model my career after Rob Ray. I saw Rob Ray at a at a and he was getting it was an award ceremony, and they were honoring him for what he did for the city of Buffalo. And I was able to see this as a draft pick when I was at a conditioning camp one summer. And I kind of made a decision that night that if I'm going to have an opportunity to play for a professional team, if I'm going to have a platform that, that because I play for this team, that people are just going to really care what I have to say, and it's going to make an impact on them, then I want to be like this guy. Razor was Mr. Community. 
Razor was the one that I was seeing kids with disabilities coming up to him crying because they were so happy that he was there and they looked up to him so much and they were so happy about the amount of money that he was able to help raise for their foundation. And, and I'm seeing this and I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to be a guy that makes a difference. I want to be a guy that makes an impact in people's lives and makes things better. And, and if I'm going to do this, this is how I want to do it. So when I started in Rochester, what they do is they, they put a piece of paper up in the dressing room and it's for a public appearance because really what the team's trying to do is they're trying to sell tickets, but what they're doing is they're associating with like a charitable um, cause or like a, like a mental health thing, or it's good what they're doing, but they're selling tickets. They're getting, they're getting stuff done because they're making a difference and they're promoting the team. They need a player to do it. I signed up for every single one. When guys see the paper, like, and anyone that played, they know it's like this. They see the paper, they roll their eyes. They're like, ah, I don't want to do that. I just want to eat lunch with the guys and go home and, and just play Xbox. I guess like, that's like the, the player's life now, probably right with COVID. But, but anyway, so for me, I was like, no, man, I see what this does. I know the experience that Razor must have had. I saw the smile in his face. I know that this was so good. Him doing this, that's, what, that's how he got it. He met them this way and he embraced it. So I'm like, I'm signing up for all of it. I signed up for every single one. What happened was, is I ended up getting very comfortable, ended up getting comfortable talking in front of people. Obviously I won't shut up. So you guys know that I'm comfortable <laughs> right now. And I started getting good at it too. So what the front office would do is they would just come to me and instead of putting the paper up, they would just come to me and be like, Sean, this is what we have going on this week. We got something on Monday and we got something on Wednesday. Monday's a school, Wednesday's a library. <clears throat> Both the themes are teamwork. It'd be cool if you told that story that you told last week about the teamwork and how it helps you. We thought that was really effective. And yeah, man, just bring your smile and, you know, we'll have, we'll have Rob, uh, Rob Brzezinski come from the front office and, and it'll be all good. You know what I mean? So, so that's how they did it. And then we would kind of like recruit another player to come with us, but it was like my thing. And like what I learned is that George LaRock, I know he's a Quebec major junior league guy. But George LaRock, I guess like, he was one of my guests a few episodes ago, too. And every year that he played, he had a guy in the front office that was assigned to him for all the charitable things that he did. So, so what I learned with meeting George is that our careers were very similar because we worked with our front offices and we embraced this, guys. And I learned so many skills from being that man of the year that I'm going to be using these skills for my, the next 25 years of my life. So that's what it's really all about. It's about learning, meeting new people and making a difference. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. And that's volunteer work, right? All right. I know we've, we've kept you for a little more than an hour already. <laughs> no, no, no. But... I've talked for too long. <laughs> no, no, you have honest. not. No. You said it would be an honest show, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to drop some truth on you then, Mac. Okay. So here it comes. Get ready for this. I, I, cause I have to finish at least my end of things with this of course uh chris and i have joked back and forth about this over the years but i've always said the guys in the ontario hockey league that have played the game like you have i won't i won't use goon because i don't think that's fair but the guys that have played a physical game the guys that are not afraid to mix it up drop the mitts they got all the pims yeah have been my favorite interviews and i i mean that <laughs> sincerely Corey connect uh cam jansen was probably one of my favorites oh, of all time is it and for cam something he's a beauty he was another and, guest on my show 
and here's a guy like these I'm, I'm talking to these kids like well when you're in in the ontario hockey league right they're 16 17 18 years old and i've always been impressed and i've told chris this many times over our years together they just seem to be the the most charismatic the the, the most eloquent and i'm listening to you tonight sean and I'm, that's what i'm hearing from you and I, I wonder how you develop this skill when you do what you do on the ice and like where, where does time for education reading absorbing this knowledge come in I mean, pretty much what it is, man, is, is this was, this is the life of, of the pro hockey player and the major junior player. Cause I'm telling you, it's very, very similar. The times of the practices and stuff are different, but it's the same thing. Practicing every day, being on a very tight schedule and playing in front of big crowds in high pressure situations, same thing, just on a smaller scale. Right? So you, you come to the arena in the morning. You got to be there at least an hour before. So most teams have practiced at either 10 or 11, right? So let's say you got to be at the arena at nine o'clock, right? So you're there at 10 to nine. You're there. You're hanging out with the boys, stretch, whatever, have your chew because you can't smoke during the season. And you know what I mean? You practice. Maybe there's a workout after practice. You know, maybe there's a team meeting. You're out of there at noon. You're out of there at one o'clock guaranteed. Okay, if it's an extended workout now, it, when you're a pro, which this is what this schedule would be, because in major junior, this would be like three o'clock in the afternoon going on. But this is 10 in the morning as a pro. You're done at one o'clock. Guys go out to lunch and they go home. That's a choice. That is what's in your contract that you have to do. Okay, you got to practice with your team. You can't do any dangerous activities. Like, I don't know how some guys get away with it, but you're not supposed to be able to ride a motorcycle. You're not supposed to do snowboarding, just like skydiving, weird shit like that. Like that's all in the contract, right? But after practice, after workout, you can go home. Now, if you want something more, then you do the appearances. Then you work with the front office. That's how you learn. That's how you learn any skills that you may be talking about now, it was just doing more than the minimum. And when I do interviews and they ask me about this type of stuff, I, and I haven't said it yet, so I'm going to say it. I always say like, like guys, if you're coming into major junior, even like the tier two leagues, they still do promotional stuff for their teams, especially pro sign up for everything. You have no idea the opportunities and the experiences that you're going to have by doing this. Is not, is not volunteer work. It's not a bad word. Just think of it as something else and just do it because I guarantee you, you're going to get something out of it. You're going to learn something and you're going to meet an incredible person, a new skill, whatever. Just do it. I had to get that in there, but yeah, <laughs> that's how, but that's how you learn. It's, it's just, it's just going, it's just showing up. It's that's good. It. It's good to hear that. Because you're talking to this guy over here who's one, I don't know if it's this side for our YouTube viewers, but this guy volunteers his time all the time for our community. Yeah, so won every award know. possible, so he gets it. <laughs> um, I, I got I to gotta ask, anyone can Google you and find out that you went from, you know, pro hockey to the lowest of lows, I'm sure, in your, in your yeah. life, you know, spending some time in prison. Um, I won't get into the whole story because that's not what this podcast is all about. If people want to know, you can Google it. Um, but how important was it for you to come through that experience and get back into the game? Well, it was, it, it was really important 
And 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 I and I just I just gotta backtrack you just a little bit. Okay. You didn't say anything wrong, but I just want to add to one thing that you're saying. Please do. So now you mentioned the word Google. So now other shows where I've gotten into this more, like, you know, you're saying that it's not what the podcast is all about, but see with me, I mean, I am a public person. I plan on being a sports broadcaster. I plan on being a public speaker. I have a very strong story and it needs to be told. And if I want to be this person, I also have to own my story. And I also have to have small versions of explaining it when it comes up like this, right? So sure you got to have five or six different ways of telling it. Well, of course. Yeah. And, and, and I have to be able to kind of like, you know, not minimize it, but just make it smooth and quick so people can understand. And, and there's the long versions and short versions of every story. Right. And, but the reason why I wanted to add to the Google part was just the fact that that's what one of my problems was Google when, when that did happen to me. And what I mean by that was, when that happened to me, it was, it was a terrible thing that happened. And when I, when I came back, it was really important for me to get back into the game because as far as I was concerned, when it came to my attention, that was the greatest time of my life that I was having. I was playing for the Belfast Giants. I was, tw- I was 29. I, I was 28 when I got there. I was 29 when this happened because I have the January birthday. This happened in March when I found out about the indictment and the thing about the whole Google thing that I'm talking about is I was charged with a conspiracy charge. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it's a very unique thing. What happened to me, everybody's heard that the the term, the American system is broken. We've all heard that no matter how much we want to admit it or not deep down in our minds, we've all heard it hundreds of times. What they mean by that is that there's different laws in the U.S. that they have only in that country that's not similar to anything else. One of them is the conspiracy charge. How the conspiracy charge came about is when the five New York families, don't worry, guys, it's only going to be two minutes. The five New York families in New York, guys like, I'm not going to use real names, so let's say Tony Soprano. (laughs) A guy like Tony Soprano was never getting in trouble. Why? Because he had so many people in between him. The feds were never able to touch him. So they knew that he was responsible for a bunch of stuff, but they were never able to get him. So what they did was they introduced a new charge called the conspiracy charge. So what the conspiracy charge is, is they're not able to charge Tony Soprano with trafficking, um, intimidation, racketeering, because they can't get him, right? But what they can do is they can charge him with conspiracy racket, racketeering conspiracy intimidation, conspiracy trafficking, because all they need to do under this new law is get more than one person to testify that Tony Soprano was part of the conspiracy. Now, the difference between Canada and the U.S. conspiracy charge is in Canada, you have to have one piece of physical evidence that ties the person to the conspiracy. You have to have a picture, a tape recording, something. The U.S., you don't. So if you think about it, the feds are really able to get anybody they want because they just have to have more than one person that got in trouble, maybe for something completely different years after he'd seen that person. Maybe they 
erased something in an agreement that if they agreed that this hockey player was part of the conspiracy, that something would go away and that they would just be able to move on with their lives. And unfortunately, guys, the story I'm telling is about me. And I was charged with conspiracy trafficking in the Google search. It doesn't say conspiracy. It says drug trafficking, drug charges. And that was the hard thing for me is that people really don't know what happened. I wasn't ready to talk about it probably until about a year ago. The past year, I've been able to do interviews and talk about it calmly like I am right now. I was never able to talk about it. I would get very upset. I was convinced by a high-priced lawyer and others to take to, to sign a guilty plea because I was guaranteed a probation sentence. I was always told that I would never spend one day in jail. The day of my sentencing, I had 25 members in the courtroom, including another 15 from my fiance's family that was from Rochester, New York. I had 25 family members from Toronto in that courtroom. We had a big party planned in Toronto. Where my head was at, I got a lot of prominent family members, a lot of prominent aunts and uncles. I would be approached by one of my uncles. Okay, I'm not going to say names. One of my prominent uncles. You know what, Sean? I'm so glad today is going to happen because you've been through so much and and, and we're so proud of you, Sean. And it's all going to be over today. We're going to have a great time tonight. And, and we'll, we'll see you when we get back, right? And that's where the mindset was, that I've been through enough, right? I hereby sentence you to the Federal Bureau of Prisons for a term of 24 months, man. That's what the judge said to me that day. In a normal situation, a guy on paper that has a squeaky clean record, that even in the charges that he's being accused of, there's no weapons. There's no violence. This is a conspiracy charge that they said happened years and years at, from when the story was told. Like it was so crazy the way it went down. There's a five-year there's a five-year statute of limitations. They said it was four years, eleven months, and twenty-nine days from the last known crime when they put out the indictment. And I could go on forever. Point being, guys, what did I learn from it? I learned that who you hang out with is a big deal. There's a very thin line to cross. When I, was, when I was hanging around these people, I knew what they did was wrong. Pretty much what they did to me was they admitted to an operation that they did in the past, but they said that I was their boss. And they were able to get out of the trouble that they were in by implementing me in, an, in, an, in this charge. So unluckily for the sheriff, I got driven off in, in a Monroe County Sheriff's Department vehicle from that courtroom because normally my my lawyer would have been able to negotiate a self-surrender if i knew i was going to get some time a guy with no record no violence you're able to self-surrender you may be found guilty but you can go home and in 30 days after you get all your your things together you could have your family drive you to that institution i wasn't able to do that i just had to go i just had to go right i did 20 straight months what did i do during that time I made the best of my life. I graduated high school. I was two credit short guys when I left the OHL. I got traded a hundred times, right? Probably went to like 15 high schools and I was two credit short, but at 30 years old, I was able to get my GED. I ended up teaching the GED. I ended up teaching an exercise class. I ended up taking business classes, classes like paradigm thinking. 
where I knew what my life purpose was, what my, what, what the meaning of success is. Like people say like, you know, what's success to you? You know, someone asks you that you think, oh, well, you know, I, I want a nice car. I want a, a beautiful wife. I want a high paying job. Well, that's not necessarily what success is. What I learned, what success really is when I was there is that it's living in the here and now. Okay. It's, it's being present and it's living out your life purpose. And I found out also there that my life purpose is to uplift because what I, what I'm best at is bridging the gap and making things better. And I learned that hands down with all my experiences off the ice in the OHL, in the AHL and in pro. And because I embrace that, I'm able to talk to you guys right now, right? And I'm able to tell my story, right? And that's a beautiful thing. And I'm an OHL alumnus. I'm so proud of being in the OHL, man. I talk about the OHL all the time. When I was younger, I used to think of OHL guys as gods. I went to St. Mike's as a student the first year that they had the St. Michael's majors, guys. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that. I don't even know how much time we have. I just know that I've talked a lot. Hopi, we're going to have to get a uh, Sean McMorrow night in in six different cities. I know. Like, let's just, <laughs> right? like, line them up, eh? Yeah. Come on. Hey, we've seen some weird things with teams bringing in people to talk at center ice after games and give emotional speeches like Mark Osborne. Or who was it down in the States? Far what Was it Os- Ozzy? No, no, it was Mark Osborne and Peterborough, and it oh, was right. Magic Johnson and yeah. Saginaw. So Magic I, Johnson. I think we just Magic marched out to the sheriff. Yeah. Yes. No, no joke. In the Saginaw spirit? After he the game. Did. And, and these, these players were sitting on the bench. They had no idea who this old Come guy was. Come on, man. No, 100%. What Bobby, did he say? I, it didn't look, uh, you know what? I was going downstairs to do post game, so I didn't even get to pay attention. But I'm like, what is Magic Johnson doing here? Wow. Yeah. That, I would have been starstruck talking <laughs> to seeing him. Right? I, I think we should have a sheriff night. In six different cities. There you go. I got the sheriff. He can do some motivational well, speaking to the kids. Hey, listen, man. I know, I know, I, I know there was a lot to cover because there's so many teams, right? And I know that I talk a lot. So, I mean, I think that we should do kind of like a cross thing here. I would be honored to have you guys as guests on my show. Yeah, give your podcast a little pub here. Oh, okay, awesome. Well, I mean... Okay, guys. You've mentioned your guests a couple times. So what's the podcast? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Four and a half months ago, I started a new podcast called The Sheriff. Okay. And pretty much what I'm doing, guys, is I just want to have as much fun as possible. Me and my co-host, Kyle Warner, are having a great time. I got my brother-in-law, Danny Granger of Danny Granger Art that creates incredible portraits for all our guests. We're a team. We do all the social media sites. We all do take care of a different account. We, we have our, our Gmail account. Guys, we, we do promotions. We try to get the best guests, the guests with, that, are, that are just very big characters and the people that want to create awareness and make a difference, right? Like that's really what we're all about. At the same time, I'm also creating a resume for what I want to do for the next 25 years. So I'm putting everything into it and all the passion that you hear is real. It's, it's the Sheriff the- Podcast. That, that, that's what it's called. That's how you. That's how you look it up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. We're on all of it, man. We got ranked on four different charts so far, so we're very happy. Great, man. Love to hear it. Um, we didn't even get into <laughs> your overseas stuff, but 
We started this podcast with a fight between Perry and Felino. We can both, if we end this here quickly, we can all watch the third period in a tied game for people listening and later. One, one, Montreal, <laughs> Toronto. But I got to ask, this is, I do this every podcast. Faro makes fun of me at the end always of the podcast. Always one more. Always, always one, one more. more. I got one yeah. more in the bag. Yeah. And this good, one, man. this one's just for me. I don't know how many listeners are going to pick up on it, but between you and me, Sheriff, how's my boy Weapon X? Okay, let me tell you something about Weapon X. <laughs> Weapon X. Okay, so that there's we could talk about him all night, but let's talk about <laughs> you're talking about the fact that I had him on my show, right? I just I haven't talked. Alex Penner is his name, and I haven't yes. talked to Pens in forever. We played Junior B together. I followed okay. his career. I know he's, you guys had a couple tilts overseas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, the first point I want to make is I had him as a guest on my show. Mm-hmm. Alex Penner, aka Weapon X, to this date is still our most listened to episode. The guy is so entertaining. People just love him. And it shows because we have the most hits for the Alex Petter episode, right? We've had guys like Shane Corson, George LaRock, Don Cherry, but Alex Penner, yeah, highest. It's incredible, man. And, and, And the reason is, is because he's such a cool dude. He's so entertaining. But most of all, it's how funny he is, man. I don't know if he was funny back when you guys played, but man, oh man, is he ever funny now, man? One of the toughest guys I've ever met. We had some great fights over in, in England. Well, I was in Scotland and he was in England, but it's the same league. And, and yeah, man, he's, uh, he's the real deal, man. He really deserves to have a nickname like Weapon X. <laughs> okay, I got to do one more real quick. And this is just a yeah, one-word yeah, yeah, answer. No one, one word answer. About by listening to another podcast, you guys estimated about 470 career fights, which to me is absolutely insane. Who was the toughest guy 470 fights who was the toughest guy was it that guy this in North guy, okay H- hardest punch most powerful punch steve bosse lnh legend became a ufc fighter and had like a nine and one record or something in the ufc as a light heavyweight oh, okay okay he he's the only guy to tko me he did it in 2007 i sat out one weekend and then he was the first game back and I beat him. So it was like a, it was like a big deal for me, man, to get over that. This guy is the only guy that ever knocked me, man. And, and I had to fight him my, my first game back. Um, toughest guy, like overall, I'd have to say John Nasty Marasty. Do you guys know who that is? I've, I've heard his name come up numerous times. East yeah, Coast he, American he's League. pretty much a minor pro yeah, legend. Me, yeah. Played in the AHL for a bit with Syracuse. Played, played over in the KHL. But, of course, he's an LNAH guy. He was always the highest paid guy in the glory years of that Quebec league. And, and he owned that league for a long time with Basse and, and Joel Theriot. And um, he's probably the toughest guy. I know they're not NHL guys, but I'm telling you they're the toughest guys. Man, that's great stuff. Listen, yeah. Sheriff, if you ever want us to return the favor, I don't know that we can do the same justice to your podcast <laughs> as you've just done to ours, but we're, we're, we're here anytime. Talk. <laughs> we're going to talk because there's other things that I want you guys to be involved with too. So we're definitely going to talk. We look awesome. forward to it. That's what we're all about, talking and getting these stories. And uh, at this point, it sounds like catching the third period of Leafs uh, and that other team. 100%, John. I really, really appreciate you guys listening to my OHL stories, man. I'm 
Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.